Blog Talk Radio. The best heavy metal and hard rock anywhere. Live from Blog Talk Radio's multi-million dollar broadcasting facilities... The Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show, with your host, Mike the Big Cheese. Welcome back to the show, and we got a great one for you today. Neil Turbin of Death Riders is our guest. I think I got Neil on the line right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, Neil, you there? Hey, man. How you doing? Big hey. cheese, Mike? Yes, it is. What's going on, buddy? How are you? Are we on the air now? We sure are. Okay. Rock and roll, man. Let's do it. All right. I was going to get some of your music off, but we may as well start talking, and then we'll get that on a little later on in the show. Great. All right. So how's everything going? Oh, great. We just got done uh, with a couple of shows this weekend, and, uh, you know, we're rocking. We're ready to thrash and keep going yeah you played last night right yeah we played uh last night over in uh angels and corona which was great and uh also at the black castle in uh south central los angeles the night before yeah i hear a lot about that place the black castle uh, it sounds like a pretty good spot out there pretty awesome actually they're supposedly shutting it down because of lack of uh support a lot of the kids in the south central area you know they have a lot of backyard parties it hurts the attendance and then you know the economy's not exactly helping it so it's tough, you know, in the U.S., it seems, for uh, people to support metal, you know. But we're supporting it, and we're out there. We're doing what we can, you know, to keep it going. So hopefully everyone else, uh, you know, we all need to, to pull together, you know, all the metal community, because it's all about the metal. Yeah, I know. Over the last few years, I mean, even though, you know, the metal like that we grew up with from the 70s and 80s, is, you know, it's it's taking hold again, and it's getting better and better. It's just There's just not that support out there for the live shows anymore, and, I just I really don't get it because we're dying for this music. All we do is complain that we want to see our favorite artist, and then nobody shows up a lot of times. But you go over to Europe, and it's like a madhouse. Japan, Germany, I don't know what we're doing wrong over here, but we can't get it like they are anymore. Well, I think there's a lot of opportunities here. It's just a lot more people or diverse, uh, you know, musical tastes and preferences. And you know, just like back in the in the 80s, I can remember, even in New York, you know. It wasn't a metal city, really. It was, uh, you know, a combination of a lot of different things. Yeah. I think there's there's little pods or little places you can go where, like in the village at the time, you know, that was kind of a metal time for <laughs> the East Village of New York. Oh yeah. And, and you know that was really exciting when you have that kind of, um, you know, that just starts occurring in in culture. You know, where you have a style that people you know gravitate towards and. You know, metal punk was that style at one time in New York, and I guess it's still kind of inherent in a lot of places. So for me, you know, it just made sense to, to come to Los Angeles because that's where the music scene was. Um, even though I gave New York a really big shot and was disappointed that all the bands that got signed were on the West Coast. <laughs> back yeah. At the time. You know, back at that time, and, you know, no matter what you do to jump up and down and wish they'd come to the East Coast because there were so many great bands there. They signed all these bands from the West Coast, and, you know, I think what we're seeing now is, you know, this ain't, this ain't the era of Guns N' Roses here on the West Coast anymore. It's a lot of Europe. I mean, it's not even the era of the record label. So in Europe, you know, that's where the opportunities are for metal bands because the economy 
you know, bands bands like the Scorpions can tour over in Europe and make twice the money. So why should they come to the States? I mean, that's what I was told. <laughs> no, you, well, you, you can't blame them, especially today. You've got to go where the crowds are. You've got to go where the money is. It's, it's just the way it is. And you've been out in California since you and Anthrax split up uh, years ago. You've been out there a long time now, huh? Yes. And, you know, I'd been out here before I was in Anthrax, and then when I toured out here, you know, people were really um, great, you know, very accommodating. I mean, there was a time when we were touring the West Coast. We, you know, we weren't very well uh, financially sound when we were on tour. You know, there wasn't money to uh, buy more than one meal at Denny's. And also, um, you know, it wasn't very pleasant being crammed in with the other people in that band in, a, you know, someone's apartment, you know, staying the night in Los Angeles, as we did before we played two shows at the country clubs. We were staying in someone's living room. Yeah. And they didn't actually put us in a hotel till one of the nights. You know, and I, should, I say a hotel. What I really mean is like a motel and the bottom of, of that barrel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's if we were lucky, you know, to get a, a hotel and a shower. You know, that's, I mean, a motel and a shower. But the idea is that, um, you know, that, that whole situation, you know, there's people out there in the scene that want to make it better. They, you know, they, they look up to you and say, hey, man, it's great that you're here. You know, come to my house. And there was a, a guy that I was talking to already that was really, you know, a metalhead. And he said, hey, man, come to my house. You need to get a couple hours of sleep, you know. And I went over there. So it was pretty much, you know, like that, you know, just trying to, just trying to get by and, you know, make it all work. I mean, it wasn't like we were out there. <laughs> being taken good care of on the red carpet, you know. Yeah, it's rough. It, it, you know, it always is. And going back to, like, way back in the beginning, you know, when you're young and you're in this business, you just, you know, you want to make a record, you want to play live. You don't realize, you know, how backstab and how nasty the business end of it can be. And is that something you learned as the years went by? Absolutely. You know, you learn you you learn as you burn, as, they, as I yeah. say. <laughs> you know, there's people that, uh, you know, embrace what it is that we're doing with metal and there's people that want to you know instead of and, and we're talking other bands you know it's like rodney king said why can't we all get along right and it's a big <laughs> joke but it's really like that because in the metal scene you know it's it's really a minority even though it's there's a mainstream part of that to some extent it's really still a minority i mean if you look at the popular music and what's really popular i mean madonna that's real popular music you know metal is i mean there's really great bands out there like iron maiden you know heaven and hell i mean we can na make a list but and they and they're successful bands and they go on tour and they make money and you know that's that's one way of life you know and then there's bands that are somewhere in the middle and then there's bands that are trying to get up the ladder you know and, and i think that it's really important for those bands that are way up the food chain or somewhere in the middle to help those other bands and you know when we play we always try to help those other bands and, and work with you know, giving other bands a shot, and you know the way it is out here in the West Coast and in the U.S. Um, you know, a lot of promoters, it's all about the money. You know, they try to make money, and that's why they do what they do. Of course. So they get these kids to go and basically sell tickets out here in California or in a lot of venues out here. So once you leave the the primary, you know, city areas, you know, then you have a, re a much better, you know, support for metal. I think when you have cities that just have too much too many choices you know you got five different shows you can go to your show becomes less important because there's five other ones yeah so, it's, so it's, it's oversaturated sure yeah so giving bands a chance to to you know play with your band or play with other bands i mean we we like that opportunity because we want to stay in touch with you know 
what's happening on the street, and you know we're definitely in touch with that. I think once you get to a certain level, it's like, well, we want to leave our drums set up, we want to leave our back line set up. I mean, we play with bands that, you know, they think they're playing the forum, and they want to leave a big drum set where there's no room on the stage. Yeah. To, you know, for the other bands to get on, on in front of them, and you know, we're the headliner. Of course, we're going to accommodate all the other bands. We're not, you know, turning on half the sound or turning on half the lights for them. But you know, there's still that mentality out there because people are jealous. You know, they they're scared of other bands that are up and coming. There's some great young bands that are that are doing really good and uh, sound really good. You know, nowadays it's there's more opportunities, more technology. I think that's great. You know, and it's great that there's so many people interested in metal. You know, and and I support that. Uh, you know, a thousand percent. Yeah, definitely. There has to be a support system in place because. You know the record, the record industry. I mean, it barely exists anymore, especially for for metal bands. I mean, it's in chaos right now. There's no support there. There's no more in all you know departments. You know, trying to push bands out. If nobody works together to get this accomplished, what's going to happen? You know, when all of us aren't here anymore, who's going to be making the music? Who's going to be? Uh, it's just not going to be around anymore. And that's a, that's the sad thing about it. You're right, Mike. And I think what's interesting about what you touched on is, you know, with a record label, you know the the concept of that the whole uh, premise of oh you know we, we need to be in you know first we get a band together you know what's what's the steps right you get a band together you get out there you put songs together you play whether you play covers or originals and eventually you get out there and play and then you try to get a manager and you try to get a, a record company get a record contract you know there's that mentality that it's like the elusive record contract but you know what it totally doesn't work today because it's a different world we live in and the thing that was important at the record company anyway was getting your band to get the attention from the the you know promotion from the VPs you know to to back the the band and push it out there and put the money behind it yeah and really when it when you boil it right down all you really have is the promotion from that label of course their connections help you know having the distribution the politics of it all that definitely impacts you know your your um, effective you know how you can penetrate the market and of course, you know, I may not be the the be all expert on the whole thing cuz, you know, you know, I I haven't um, you know, got lots of platinum and gold records, but the bottom line is that I have an idea about you know, how to promote and how to get the word out and I think, you know, that's what bands need to do is have their own method like the record label has, you know, have a proper promotion team. And we work with um, you know, Mario Mario Vandoren, Verdoren, I'm sorry, out of uh you know, she's out of Holland, and she has a company called Metal Revelation, and she's on MetalRevelation.com. And actually, she worked with Man of War for 17 years, and has great artists. You know, still works with Ross the Boss. Okay. And has uh, bands like Bones of Freedom. Uh, she just signed this death metal band from Russia. She's got you know glam metal bands. She's got Death Riders is on the on on board. Uh, Stone Cold Black out of Germany. Um, you know, just some really great bands. And, you know, we, we're working to promote the band, you know, globally. You don't need a record label to do this because the record label has other artists that they need to consider, and there's a limited budget. And I think what bands are faced with today is they're trying to figure out, okay, go out on the road, and who's going to pay for it? Well, yeah. the label's not. I mean, you gotta, you got to try to get, you know, half of the money from the venues. That's the way it works, for those who don't kind of know the way it works. You need to get half the money up front, usually is the way it works. And these clubs, you know, they're, it's a hard time for them these days. Some of them are going to pay. You know, they know that they can book, you know, 
I mean, they know that if Saxon's coming here to the U.S., and they know that if Saxon is playing, they're going to get their money. That's no problem. They'll get paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a whole big thing, you know, and it's a shame. But hopefully, you know, everything on that front will get better and everything. You, you're working on a new record right now, right? Well, we're working on it. Yes, we are. We're, we're still recording it. And, uh, you know, we're not going to just shove something out there just because, you know, people are saying, oh, well, when's it coming out? Uh, you've been working on it for a while. Well, yeah, you know, that's true. But we need to put out something that's going to represent and it's going to, you know, take us to the next level. And anything short of that is, you know, what for is the question. Um, you know, I've got albums out. What do I need to put an album out just so people can say i got a new one out? Well, yeah, that's nice, and I want it. But we're working on it so it's, you know, the best that we can be. And I think that's what's really important. And there's also scheduling that's involved. You know, I'm working on it between myself and course the band death riders all the members as well as uh jonas hornquist who's over in sweden near gothenburg we're uh, collaborating songwriting together on uh, prim the primary uh part of the material i've also written songs with um you know some other song writers as well that have been part of death riders in the past but i think the the main thought about that mike is that you know you want to you want to maintain a consistency a continuity what really sucks I think for the listener, for the fans like myself and probably others, is that, you know, you have a band that you really love. You know, you really you really dig their, their music and, you know, they put out three albums. I can think of one band in mind that I have. And then all of a sudden they lose their guitar player, who is one of the main songwriters. Yeah. That's a big disappointment just to hear that before I even hear the music because I know that that's going to change it. And, you know, being in that same capacity myself... So when you have these lineup changes, it really does hurt the, you know, the inner structure of the songs, and it hurts the sound of the band. It, it changes it. Well, does it hurt it? You know, maybe the band will be more successful. You know? uh, I don't know, Neil. It definitely hurts in, in, in your case because everybody who listens to the show, and there's like 80,000 people that tune in every week, they hear me say it every time I play an Anthrax song. It's always from the Fistful of Metal era. I always say that that band was never the same after you left it. Uh, you're, you're, the songwriting, you were one of the main songwriters in the band back then, and you, the influence was there, and you can hear it, and all the records following that that they put out, they right. they were never the same. They, they had, you know, of course, they had success in the 80s, but they kind of went with every fad that happened to Anthrax after you left the band, in my opinion. And I always say the only true Anthrax was your version of Anthrax. And I was a fan of the band even before, you know, I, I remember back in the day, I think Scott's brother was singing in there for a little while, I remember when Greg Walls was in the band, uh, Greg D'Angelo was in the band, uh, you know, and that was a great version of the band. And you were like, the music you wrote with them, I mean, I'm not trying to pull a it's just the best music Anthrax ever put out. And that's my opinion. So, Mike, when you say you're old school, man, you're really fucking old school. Old school. <laughs> I remember seeing the last show you did with them, Raven and Metallica. I think it was at wow. uh, Roseland or Irvin Plaza. I don't remember the theater. I'm not, you know, right. my mind's going after 20-something years, but... Roseland. Well, that's cool that you were there. That was. Oh quite, my God! I was like, this is amazing. Then, you know, back then they had the news that you left the band. It was like two, three months later because there was no internet. There was no, you know, there was nothing back then but like a handful of magazines. You know, so getting the information back then it took forever to find out what was going on. You know. Yeah, it was a different world for. Yeah. For that whole thing back then, as far as you know, getting the information to the public, and you know, it's it's very interesting. And I wanted to bring up a point is that you know after I left the band. You know, there was, you know, people can be really petty. They could be real professional, say, hey, you know, it's nice working with you. You know, sorry we have to part. You know, agree to disagree or whatever you want to call it, right? 
and say we can't, you know, we couldn't work it out. You know, musical differences, separation, just like any, you know, separation yeah. of, of business partners or, or divorce or, you know, whatever you want to call it. But there's people that want to, you know, do it in an amicable way. And there's people that just want to be downright nasty. And, you know, there's tactics that are involved. And one of the things that happened, uh, probably unbeknownst to most of the listeners out there, is that, you know, when Anthrax was on the, you know, they were on the upswing. They were, they were going, they were moving up because there was momentum. You know, whether, whether they got Oscar the Grouch to pull him off of Sesame Street and put him, put him as a front man for Anthrax. Yeah. You know that the band was still moving in a positive direction, right? So, yeah, of course they're going to get someone that can sing. You know, there were some challenges, I'm sure, to have someone that that could sing the songs that that I've set forth. And then, of course, to fulfill the direction that they wanted to go in, which was definitely different than what I wanted to do. I was, I was more focused in a more serious metal direction, you know, more for real type stuff, like, you know, not not comedy metal or not, you know, rap music or anything like that. I was more focused in accept, you know, balls to the wall, yeah, uh, restless and wild, you know, fast as a shark. I was more interested in Riot, you know, who I grew up with and was friends with, uh, you know, Rhett Forrester and. Also, um, you know, bands like Saxon, you know, yeah. I, I used to play the album Wheels of Steel in my, my Buick 71 in, in uh, New York when I went to, was in high school. That's actually where I wrote the song Metal Thrashing Mad, because uh, I would drive with my windows down and drive by my old high school, you know, when I was in high school, yeah. <laughs> right after, you know, because I live right near there. And this is near where Scott lived and Danny. And, you know, I was playing Saxon, like Motorcycle Man and Wheels of Steel and Accept and Riot and... You know, Thin Lizzy and all the great bands, you know, that you can think of back oh, in yeah. those days. And that was an inspiration for me, for Metal Thrashing Mad. It wasn't so much, oh, well, you know, let's get on the freeway. Yeah, it's like you thought, well, freeway, that's fast driving. That's the kind of, you know, speed you need to have. But that was kind of the feeling, you know, the, the essence of what that whole Metal Thrashing Mad thing was about. And actually, you know, I find it really funny. I was I was getting off my own point, which was, you know, during that time frame, in the 80s, when you said you only had a handful of magazines, right? There was Kerrang! and H. What is it? Uh, yeah, Metal Forces was out, you know, but they came a little later. There really wasn't, you know, and you had to go to this, like, a, in, in New York, we had Zigzag Records in Brooklyn. Uh, they were like the, yeah, they were like the cabla. But you go there and you pay like $9 for a magazine, which is like 50 today. Yeah. Because they were all imports, you know? Exactly. You had that in, in Long Island, New York. I know there was one in Valley Stream, a record store there that had the heavy metal section <laughs> yeah and these stores eventually became heavy metal stores except for bleak or bobs they were you know kind of diverse but a lot of heavy metal and punk and you know that's where you went to get those magazines and you know we couldn't wait we were we were chomping at the bit to get the new issue of kerrang which yeah you know was probably out a week ago or two weeks ago in england but we were trying to get it over here to, you know, yeah to, to find out the news the charts and the heavy metal charts and all that and it was just excited an exciting time and what happened with Anthrax after that, you know, they'd go and they they went over to Europe again. And, uh, you know, after I left the band, they were doing their thing. And, uh, you know, they talked to the, the media in different countries. And the way that the media worked back then, like in France, for example, I went to France a week after I left Anthrax with, with Jack, Jack Starr and Virgin Steel, since I was supposed to join up with him. But Rhett Forrester was supposedly leaving that to join Yngwie, at least Rhett thought so. But uh, that didn't happen. He did a great job with Jack and, you know, did a great job on the festival we went over for. But, you know, Jack needed, you know, kind of uh, plan B. And that's why I was there. And the promoter said, cool, let's just bring Neil over. And, 
you know, so a week after I left Anthrax, I was over, you know, with, J with Jack Starr. But then when I got back to New York, I realized, hey, I better, you know, I better go where the opportunities are, and that was the west coast of the U.S. and California. But the point that I'm making is when he, when, um, you know, Anthrax would tour, let's say, the, they get an interview in Italy, they get one in France, you know, they'd be telling all of these um, magazines overseas, they'd be telling people like I was drunk, or I was on drugs, or I was uh, deranged, or, you know, any one of a handful of things. So, you know, I found it quite interesting once the Internet became of age, and, you know, now we're we're somewhat on a on a more accountable playing field, you know. People can say whatever they want, and I'm going to tell the truth. You know, I, I'm not going to hold back. I have no reason to. Oh, exactly. Oh, I don't yeah. Play, I don't play the political kiss-ass game like other people do. That's good. I'm going to tell the people exactly what they ask me. You ask me any question, I'm going to answer it. I've got nothing to hide. And, you know, that's the difference between me and other people. You know, I'm just yeah. going to be I'm just going to be all cards on the table. And, you know, I think the worst thing you can do is is hold back information from your fans. I mean, these are the people that support you. You know, I'm a fan too. You know, people holding back information from other bands are holding it back from me because I'm a fan of theirs. You yeah. know, I want to I know what's happening with those bands, you know. I think fans who pay for shirts and they buy tickets to shows and they buy CDs, you know, I want to buy the CDs of the bands that I, that I love to listen to. And, you know, there's a band that I love. They're out of Brazil. They're called Hibria. They're just an amazing band. They're, they're at times thrash. They're at times power metal. Just a great band from Brazil. And, um, you know, I support bands like that. I buy the CD. I yeah. want the I want the bonus tracks, you know, and I think that, you know, and I love thrash bands. I love power metal bands. I love metal. You know, I, I listen to even, you know, bands like Ensiferum. Yeah, you got a good wide range there, yeah. We we played with them, and they were unbelievably great. You know, they really kicked ass. So I think it's great to, to you know, to, to have an open mind about it. And, you know, I'm going to listen to stuff that I like. I'm not going to listen to stuff I don't like. So, I mean, there is there is some parameters or some boundaries <laughs> But, you know, I think you have to choose your own just because they, they try to, you know, push Disturb and Slipknot down your throat on the radio or, you know, in the States doesn't mean, I mean, they're great bands, both of them, but maybe not my first choice, you know, but that's what's popular. I, guess. I know exactly what you're saying. And like you were saying before, the Anthrax stuff is old news. It's 20-something years ago. We were talking about getting the news from the, the magazines, the papers, and, and like you said, this is a shame because nobody can get both sides of the story. You only got one and not the other. Then you hear another. And I, you've heard all the stuff from back. You remember, it was, you got uh, Dan Luca kicked out of the band because you didn't get along with him. The other four guys had no saying that. <laughs> but you, you managed to do that. Then it was you were this, you were that. You, were the, you, know, you had the least singer disease, all of those things. So everybody who's watched Anthrax over the years now realizes, I think, what really went on back then, or at least what they've been up to because they've had that problem with you know, Joey Belladonna twice. They never really said anything about John Bush because they would do anything to keep him in the band, you know, and get him back in. So they keep quiet about him. Now with Dan Nelson, you know, so they realize now that there's a lot of shit going on there. And a couple of months ago, we had Carl Kennedy on the show, and oh, right. uh, he did your first one. He produced Fistful of Metal, and yeah. he was saying, like, it, it was like a nightmare being in the studio because uh, Charlie, who was the drummer, people know from Anthrax, he wanted to be the main focus of the band, the main songwriter, and he had a lot of problems with that. And... uh I mean, you you were there, you lived through it all, and I think he was the root of a lot of the problems, according to Carl. I don't want to quote him, because, you know, it's been a while. I don't remember everything he said, but right before that, we had Ross on the show, and Ross did the Soldiers of Metal single, and he gave us a whole different story of the band, like a year earlier, I guess, when that was recorded. Yeah, well, it was a different environment, and what basically happened, I think what you have to 
keep in mind, and this is not a show about talking about, you know, the politics of, of anthrax. I mean, personally, um, anthrax means very little to me at this point, and it's just a band I was in for two years. I mean, if people want to latch on to that, that's fine. I mean, it's kind of like if I was, uh, you know, Eddie Munster in the in the Monsters, you know, people would latch yeah. on to that role. They'd say, oh, that's, you're Eddie Munster. You know, you're, you're not capable of doing some other thing. Well, look at... Look at someone like William Shatner. You think like he's Captain Kirk, but look at all the other shows. He was T.J. Hooker. He was other. That's things, right. You know? And it takes a lot to kind of reestablish yourself in another role. I mean, Heather Locklear, the same thing. You know, and I'm I'm using oh, I know. as as an example or or parallel. But you know, people put you in that they want to categorize you, and it's like you know what? I've played bigger places, better places with Death Riders. I've been in the band for five years, and. You know, we've had a lot more fun, and, and, you know, the people are human beings in this band. They're not, you know, jealous people or control freaks or trying to manipulate things. And I think that's some of the differences. And, you know, what you had in those days, if you really look at it, is you had a, a an alliance that was formed between Scott and, and Charlie. You know, it was really Charlie because he was the older one, and he was also in the band before Frankie. So Frankie kind of, you know, went with the flow, and... You know, that's that's a smart thing to do when you're in an organization where, you know, other people are driving it, right? Yeah, and strength it, the numbers, he, yeah. He had a strong opinion, but at the same time, you know, he was brought into the situation after the fact. As far as uh, Dan Spitz, you know, I brought him into the band. I went and, and recruited him because that's what we discussed, you know, because we, we lost Greg Walls. It was actually, mute, you know, it was kind of a mutiny of sorts because, Gre you know, first Greg D'Angelo left. He was a drummer. And he was just disgusted with, you know, dealing with certain people. And Greg Walls had the same experience. You know, he was clashing with, with Scott and, you know, didn't really want to talk about it or create, you know, bad bad stuff out there, you know. But, but he just bailed right after. And, you know, I was really close with Greg Walls and, you know, liked working with those guys. I mean, at least there was a balance within the band. But we were in a studio together in New York, and it was myself, Dan Loker, and Scott. And I'm like wow, so I got to move forward with these guys. I was like, I don't know if I want to do that at this point. And I was really very much on the fence about continuing. I'm not a quitter, so it's hard for me to walk away. But at that point, you know, I was strongly considering it. And at this point, I think I should have just walked away. It would have been smarter for me. I mean, yeah. Well, back then, I'm glad you didn't because you did give us <laughs> one of the best metal records of all time back then, Fistful of Metal. But Anthrax is old news. Since then, Threcon Delta, that's... That's a classic album. But that wasn't a Death Riders record. Did the band form after that or from that? Well, I wouldn't call it a classic record. And I, I know fans, you know, they're like, you know, I know you, you're probably being polite. But no, you know, that's, a, that's a killer record. Well, Peace of me, me is one of the best metal songs in the last 20 years. And that's well, not wow, me talking. Thanks. Well, I'll just tell you about it real quick. And, you know, Threatcon Delta, I mean, what's funny is, I don't know, I've read out there that, they, that you know, some people in the media try to say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm jumping on a bandwagon after there was 9-11. I mean, I think, I think that's hilarious since I signed the contract in August of 2001. So I guess, I guess that I had to know about some of the 9-11 planning if, uh, you know, if, if that would have been the case because we signed a contract with Metal Mayhem <laughs> to put out the, to yeah. record the album in, in August of 2001. So let's just clear the air on that nonsense. You know, people like to say stupid shit to the media or try to, you know, pump out bullshit or you know, rumors, and I just, I mean, people have a question, they can send me an email, they can hit me up at info at deathwriters.net, they can ask me a question personally, I have no problem answering, and they can always come on our, you know, our MySpace page, we have, 
you know, group on Facebook. We've got uh, ReverbNation.com forward slash Death Riders. I mean, you can reach me. It's not hard to do so. And obviously you reached out to me on Facebook. So, you know, that's why we're talking today. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not hard to find, and I'm not hiding from anyone. And I think, you know, people want to know a, a question. That's fine. You know, we're doing some interviews for some some interesting old-school magazines in Europe. And, you know, they like to ask all the demo tape questions, you know, all the detailed question about, you know, this demo tape and that demo tape. And it gets, you know, those questions, I mean, it's like question number 1,365, uh, the 1,365th time you're asking me the same question that everyone else did. And <laughs> Yeah, there's only so many things we could ask. That's the problem. <laughs> well, so, yeah. You've heard it all before and you've answered it all before. It's probably like robotic after a while. I don't mind that. You know, I, I'm passionate about what I do, and I, and I don't mind asking answering questions that are the same ones. But when they start telling me what their opinion is before they ask me the question, they tell me, well, this person was in the band, and it's like, okay, well, that person was never in the band that I knew of, but if you're saying that they're in the band and you're saying that they were the singer, then that's cool. Then why don't you answer the question for me because you already started, you know? It's like, ask me a question, at least if you want to ask me one, but don't give me the answer. You know, they're trying to, like, feed me that, that answer, and it's just, yeah. I think it's it's interesting, but, um, you know, that's part of what we, what you have to do. I mean, people want to know stuff, and I'm glad to talk about it, and and I think it's interesting, too. You know, there's some, there's good experience from those days, and I think that that's really what I, my goal is to share with the people out there and the fans of old school metal is to, is for them to understand the experience, because if, if you're 21 years old today, you know, in 2009, well, you didn't get to experience that. You know, you're too young to, you know, to go to Bleaker Bob's or to, you know. Exactly, yeah. You're too young to, to have that experience. And I think back then it was, you know, really an exciting time. And, you know, what I was doing was taking it to the next place. You know, metal was Judas Priest. It was Iron Maiden. And those were great bands. And I and I saw them, you know, I was there with Scott. We went to uh, Madison Square Garden. We saw Screaming for Vengeance. And we saw... Um, you know, Number of the Beast. I think it was the same tour. It was like, wow. holy, holy fuck, you know, that was amazing. Yeah. To see, that, to see those two bands at that time in their career, I mean, there was nothing stronger than that, except for a few bands that I would, that, that, uh, that would probably, we want to add to the list, you know, a band at their, at their peak. Yeah, you've, you've kept really busy over the years too, Neil. Uh, you worked with Coney for a while. I don't know if I'm saying it right, the Japanese guy. I got the record, Mask. Uh, you write a lot of stuff, and you only sang like one or two songs on that album, right? Um, actually, I wrote the whole album with Cooney, and you know, they he basically, you know, was not <laughs> not someone that uh, you know I could trust very much, and you know, basically, he, he had a he had a lot of money from his family, and he had uh, Watanabe music behind him, and you know, they were very professional and cool. So I basically wrote the album, did all the lyrics in English, I mean, since I wrote them, and co-wrote the songs and arranged them, and then, you know, he decided that he's going to have Billy Sheehan play on there, which was cool. That was already pre, pre predetermined, but then he turned it into, like, this, this all-star Cooney solo album kind of thing. Yeah, there were a lot so of people of, on that record, yeah. Instead of a band, it became this, you know, let me get this guy and that guy, and, you know, so it was basically being used as, as opposed to what the initial agreement was. So that's that's what happened, and, you know, that's the way it goes. But <laughs> you live and learn, you know, that's the way the business is. I know. And before you were talking about Jack Starr, after Jack left Virgin Steel, he formed, uh, uh, he did, like, the Jack Starr Burning Star, 
and uh, Rhett was on the album. You were you were actually going to go down and uh and play with the band, or was it just like a backup plan in case Rhett couldn't do it? Well, that was Jack's idea, maybe. But I I went and met with Jack at his uh, at his headquarters out there in Long Island, and uh, you know this was before um, I was supposed to. I didn't ever get to play with him actually. Never got to even jam with him. But I was I met with him and we were talking about jamming and then he explained to me well you know Rhett's in the band he's going to be leaving and all that and basically you know Carl was in the band Carl Kennedy and Gary Bordenero and they had a guy named Paul K or Paul Kahn and that was Rhett's friend and at that point uh, you know it was kind of sketchy because Rhett was in the band I guess you know Rhett had his own reasons to talk to Jack in a certain way to say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to leave, or maybe it was for money, maybe, you know, who knows what the arrangement was. But I like Red a lot. I have much respect for him, and he was, you know, just a, an amazing, great frontman and vocalist, and, um, you know, I was never, there was never a, a thought in my mind or a time in my mind where I thought, oh, yeah, I want to replace Rhett, or I want to take his job, you know. I was, just, yeah. I was just happy that I was able to land on my feet and have an opportunity seven days after I left Anthrax, so... In those days, it wasn't like you know people were, were were sending you checks or sending you offers. It just wasn't like that. And the East Coast just didn't have tons of bands. You know, there's bands that wanted me to audition for them, and I went and auditioned for John Tempesta's band, Jackal at the time. And you know, there was, just wasn't a lot of, of opportunity. But I did go to to France, you know, and stayed there for a few months afterwards, actually for about two to three months. And um, you know, Jack. I mean, it was a weird experience because I never played with the band. Rhett did the gig that was happening. It was a big festival, Breaking Sound Festival, which had Gary Moore and Dio and um, just an amazing, you know, and, and Jack Starr's Virgin Steel at the time. So that was an amazing time to, to be over there for the festival scene and for the music. And actually, that, you know, it's ironic that I went over there with a band other than Anthrax and didn't even get to play. You know, and I hung out yeah. with Metallica guys and... You know, the guys from Venom, you know, we were all staying in the same hotels and so forth. And, um, you know, once I came back, you know, it was a realization that, hey, you know, this New York thing, I love New York. You know, I'm from, my, my heart and soul's from New York, but, you know, I have to go where the opportunity is for me to, you know, reestablish. So I went to the West Coast. And the other thing is I didn't try to reinvent the wheel. You know, I, I thought, okay, well, you know, I've done thrash metal and i've done this with anthrax i'm kind of just disgusted by the whole course of events you know the people were very jealous they were very self-important and you know charlie wanted to be the songwriter of the band like he said i mean that was undermining from the beginning you know that changed the continuity of the sound of the band obviously but that's you know that was a plan between him and scott because scott wanted to uh you know be the front man he wanted the attention and you know between the two of them you know they 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 drove it to where they wanted it and you know when, yeah. when I was there, you know my my passion and my beliefs were strongly, you know founded within the the songwriting. You know it was very important for me to have you know better songs. I mean if you listen to what you may have heard in the past, some of the demo tapes that were out there that Scott and Danny Loker wrote, it was like you know we need to not be a kids band. You know they were they basically started out as a cover band playing you know three to five original songs that weren't as good as the covers, obviously, and, you know, they were playing, like, the North Stage Theater and, and um, you know, my father's place. And the band, you know, they, they loved Iron Maiden, and they had certain influences that they really liked, and that's pretty much what they try to sound like. 
and Jason, you know, was 13 or 14 years old. I just saw him at a Death Riders gig on Friday night, but he didn't say hi to me. We were, uh, you know, trying to load in for our gig, and he was there with Anger's Art. So I thought that was interesting, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. I guess that just speaks for itself. But, you know, I've known Jason since, you know, he was in, he was 14 years old. And, you know, Scott basically told him to do this. This is your job. Go sing. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, of course, Jason would be excited to do that. You know, if I was someone's kid brother, you know, I would have been glad to have the opportunity handed to me. Sure. And, you know, he, he, I mean, I think Scott or Dan Loker, I think they tried to sing, and they had, like, Jason sing, you know, and they were a cover band. So, you know, do you really want to call that Anthrax? I mean, yeah, throw a name on it and say that it's Anthrax. I think, you know, Anthrax happened. You know, they they played a couple of gigs, I think, at Great Gildersleeves, one gig at least, with Jason, and he did all originals. So if you want to call him the original Anthrax singer, well, then go ahead. You know? But but I think, um, you know, it was, it was basically the Anthrax trying to make the, the change from cover songs to originals and try to be taken seriously. And, you know, at that point, you know, they were looking for a singer because they didn't have one. They had a temporary singer and Jason because it was a 14-year-old kid, you know. Yeah. And eventually he became a drummer in the band Reverence, so... You know, I mean, he did what he was good at. I mean, singing didn't seem to be one of them. Um, when they recruited me, you know, this was an opportunity for them to try to find a real singer for their band. And, you know, I was in another band. I put out an ad in Good Times Magazine, and they, and I already had a band a month ago. They were, they were responding to an ad that was a month old. And then a few months later when I left that band, I, I saw they still had the ad in, and I called Scott back up and said, hey, you know, you guys still looking for a singer? So he was kind of reluctant at first because, you know, maybe maybe I didn't give them a happy answer the first time out. Yeah. I, was, I wasn't in a position to be in, you know, two or three bands. At that time, I didn't think like that, you know. It's like I'm dedicated to one thing. And after that, you know, I talked to them. They came over, you know, we, we compared notes, you know, trade, you know, played each other's tapes, traded tapes, and... Uh, you know, liked what we heard. I mean, I had been in a band called New Race that I had founded when I was 15 years old. So I'd been in that band three years, and that band, you know, basically split up, you know, after three years. You know, people of different ages and different races, and it was basically a perfect name, New Race. A new yeah, race. yeah. And it was cool. It was a New York City kind of, uh, you know, hard rock band, you know, punk and metal influences in the music. And at that time, you know, we were playing and you know, 1979, 1980, 81, so, you know, that was an exciting time for me, and even before that, you know, my experience, you know, I played, I, I went and auditioned for this guy, Frankie Carr, who uh, wrote a song with Fire, was it, um, was, was, you know, You Are the Woman I Always Dreamed Of song, uh, but, but was that band Firefall? I mean, back I, in the I, 70s. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, and this guy was, you know, one of those kind of Montrose kind of guitar players. I mean, he was a kick-ass guitar player. He may have written like a ballady kind of song, but he, you know, he had his songs placed and he was well established. He had uh, in his band was these guys from, I guess they did like the the NATO tour or whatever it was. They they toured, you know, did the military bases and all that. So yeah, he had a real professional band, you know, and the drummer was kick-ass. And you know, I was going in there like 14 or 15 years old auditioning for the, for them. So I really was green, you know, didn't really have my my shit together and. You know, that was quite a wake-up call. I mean, I went in there, and it's like, holy crap, you know, these guys are good. 
So I didn't get the gig early on on that, but it was like, wow, I really love their music, and it was really kind of fun. And I don't know what they did after that, but you know, maybe they stayed in New York. I mean, it's not easy to take it to the next place, right? But it was cool that I had that experience. And then I actually played, I think it might have been around that same time that I was auditioning for that band. This is even before New Race. I mean, I was maybe 15. I, I played with this guy. His name was Larry Rudolph. He was a drummer, and he went to my high school. He's in one of my classes, Bayside High School. I, I've, you know, I, I looked it up you know, a few years ago and said, what's this Larry Rudolph guy? He was such a great drummer. You know, we were playing like Thin Lizzy Jailbreak and Montrose, I Got the Fire, and, you know, and he was great. You know? I mean, he was yeah. playing double kick, and he lived right near Scott from Anthrax and Bay Terrace. You know, Bay Terrace was an area where you know, some of the more wealthy families had their places. Yeah, it still is. Yeah, they had condos and high-rise condos, and they were wealthy, so you know, these people weren't hurting. I found out Larry Rudolph was Britney Spears' manager through all the, you know, profitable years. Wow. Well, that was good for him. Yeah. But it's <laughs> interesting. You know, it's very interesting. And, uh, you know, and he was a metal guy. So power to him. What a smart dude, you know. I mean, that's that's a good gig. You can play all the metal you want after you You're not kidding. have that kind of business going. Yeah, that, there's good money in that. That's the way to go. Well, and, really, yeah, I got Tom. I got, I'm sorry, Neil. I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, I got Tommy on the line. He sounds like he's about to die over there. He's breathing heavy and huffing and puffing. I think I'll get him on. Oh, no, don't tell me that was over the air. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, sorry. I got That's him. okay. I, I got thought, thought maybe I was playing with myself here. I didn't want you to think I was playing with myself over here. No. Hey, what's sorry. up, Tommy? Hey, how you doing, Neil? Uh, big fan from the uh, demo and uh, first album days like Mike. Not, not as intense as Mike. Mike was... Uh, a little younger than me, and he used to come see my band, and he used to tell me a lot about, you know, all the underground stuff, and, um, you know, learned about the underground, uh, obviously, New York bands from, you know, you touring. I was in a band called Tempest. We played in, um, you know, the Lemoore's Brooklyn area, you know? Right. And uh, we kind of looked up to you guys because you were, like, you know, from the, you know, from the city, you know? <clears throat> and, uh, you know, even to hear that you left was... Uh, kind of fucked up but you know we dealt with it you know because we knew that uh it was a different direction that the band went like mike said before i was listening a little bit on the internet and uh it's great to see that you're still going strong and uh all the support man right behind you well that's awesome tommy thanks a lot for uh you know calling in and and saying that and um you know i heard a tempest back in the day you know i can't say that i i know the material but I remember the name from from East Coast times, and yeah. you know that that's really awesome. That um, you know we have the opportunity to support metal and still be in the loop here together. Because you know for me it's all about you know the old school metal and and just playing what I love yep. to play and doing what I love to do. And I right, think what's, you know what's from it, the heart. Here we are, you know. Here we are. That was the '80s, and here we are, 2009, and you know we're still going strong. I mean, for us, you know, the way I look at it is uh, in one sentence, until we're dead or motorhead. That's it. <laughs> that's great. That's great. That, that's the way to go. So, Neil, with that, worries, who's playing with you now? Who's in the band? Yeah, uh, we have, and thanks again, Tommy, we have uh, Sandy K. Vasquez, who came from the band Bloodlust. I've been a friend with Sandy since I came out here and auditioned for Bloodlust back in 1985, and they were in a studio with um, Megadeth. Dave Mustaine was in the same studio. So I was in there recording with Bloodlust, and there's one of those little diamond-shaped windows where Mustaine was on the other side. So <laughs> you, know, he was, you, saw, you saw a face looking through the window. 
oh. at one point, and this was a long time ago. And you know, you wondered what was going to happen with Mustaine in 1985. You know, back then, yeah. like it wasn't, you know, Megadeth was getting, you know, the, get sinking their teeth in. You know, trying to play out places like the Country Club and get get the ball rolling. So, you know, who would have known that Megadeth would have blown up as big as they did? But you know, he was always a talented guy, and I was actually when I listened to Metallica and I heard, you know, the first. The first demo tape they were playing at this club that we were uh, playing at just this weekend, I was listening to it going, hey, these were really great hooks that they had. Yeah. It was a lot different Metallica, like jumping the fire on the demo tape. Definitely. You know, or, yeah. or um, you know, Four Horsemen and, you know, Mechanics or <laughs> what have you. Just the sound, you know, it was that, it was that feeling of like, it was 1984 all over again, 1983, when we were playing shows with those guys, so... To me, it's it's all about you know that feeling. It's like we can't just go back to the old neighborhood and all the same places that we're familiar with are going to be there. But I think carrying it forward today and you know being representing you know that that piece that's inside of you, that that part that you know that metal that, that's always been there. And and you know it was different back when I was 18 years old or 19 doing it than now. But you know the the feeling is still there, and that's what I want to do. And you know. Anthrax days are far behind, but I can tell you that, you know, understanding the fans and what the fans want, I think, um, you know, it was it said just a day or so ago by Biff Byford from Saxon, he said that, um, you know, he understands what the fans want, mm-hmm. and that's what he's trying to give them, and, and I'm like, right on, this guy knows what, you know, really experienced guy and really great singer, great band, of course, Saxon, I mean, that's, that's exactly what it is about, it's, it's understanding what the fans want, and you know, to me, I understand the fans, you know, they want Fistful of Metal too. That's what they want. Yeah. And at least fans that are interested in Neil Turbin. So from, from my standpoint, I think it's important to, to focus on that. And if a song is not going to stand up to Metal Thrashing Mad or Death Rider or Death from Above or Armed and Dangerous or Gung Ho, which are all songs I wrote, um, you know, I was stating earlier that, you know, when we were talking about the songwriting, actually Scott, didn't even know what Death Rider was about. I read it in interviews. Uh, Metal Thrashing Mad, I told you, you know, where I came up with the idea. Yeah. Actually, I wrote that song. I really liked the flow of, of the way it flowed off the tongue. You know, the, the song called Flash Rockin' Man by Accept. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how I came up with the flow of Metal Thrashing Mad. And, I, you know, I wanted to get something that was, you know, representative of, of the style of music. And to me, that's what I came up with. And, of course, you know, as many people in that band wanted to put their name next to the copyright, but how many actually came up with the idea of Metal Thrashing Mad? Uh, one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and uh, after you went out to California, what, you, you happened to Turban when you formed Turban. Nothing really ever came out of that, huh? Well, that's not true. You know, we, we were in a scene where it was oversaturated in L.A., you know, a day late and a dollar short. You know, there was yeah. a lot of bands, and the bands that had something new to bring you know, there was at that time what was popular was was Bon Jovi metal, White Snake metal, Motley Crue metal, and you know then there was the thrash metal, which was you know I already came from that, and you know the last thing I wanted to do was was you know be looked at as oh well you know I'm just jumping back on the bandwagon you know yeah so so to do the same thing for me was kind of like a step backwards. I wanted to step forward, and you know I have I mean I'm a songwriter, I could sing outside of just a, a monotone vocal. You know, I can sing in different keys. I can sing, you know, I have a wide range. I have, you know, other skill sets. So 
for me to stay in one place, it, it's kind of boring and it's also kind of one-dimensional. I think the ability to sing, you know, material like back in those days, you know, like Michael Schenker had, you know, I thought his music was really great. And, yeah. you know, bands like Saxon, bands like Accept, bands like Priest, I mean, I loved those bands in those days. And, you know, of course, there was bands that weren't as, as huge that were very amazing as well. You know, of course, Loudness was getting to a point like that. Uh, bands like Sordelege out of France, a lot of yeah, the old school bands. Yeah. I mean, great vocals and great songs. Um, you know, other bands that were just a tremendous influence on me, you know, Riot. I mean, to do what I did with Anthrax, I mean, that was just one thing that I did, and my goal was to, to move forward, you know, not backward, not worry about what I did then. And, you know, I guess over, the, over, the, over time, I guess Fistful of Metal, even though it's maybe not the, the best sounding, sonically sounding album there is, I mean, there's certain elements about it that, that did withstand the test of time because people are still buying it, they're still listening to it, it's still considered something important to, to metal, and, you know, I think it really is a dawn of thrash metal that that album represented, because, you know, you take that versus what Metallica did with Kill 'Em All, you know, we actually went to the same studio as Metallica to record that in Rochester, New York, slept on the basement for three nights, and then when we were told they, they, pulled the, they ripped the whole studio out and they were going to remodel and put it back in, you know, we just couldn't wait, you know, until yeah. that got done, so we... So we moved on, and um, I think that's when, I think what happened is that's when the call to Carl happened, and I'm not sure that he was producing us right at that moment, but I think the call to Carl happened at that time from Johnny Z, and then it was decided that we were going to go into this other studio, and we met up in this other studio that was kind of between where Carl lived in Ithaca, Cortland area, and um, I think we met up in Elmira or somewhere in upstate New York, and it was this studio that just was not... It was a no-go. I mean, just not happening. Yeah. They, didn't have, they didn't have the right equipment. Metallica, you know, got really lucky in the sense that they recorded in a really great studio. You know, it just happened to all connect that way. The studio sounded good. And, of course, Metallica is a great band. They had great songs. And, uh, you know, inevitably they were going to be what they, what they became. They were definitely, you know, they definitely had a buzz early on. And they were definitely rolling, you know. And, of course, it's you know, hard to predict what, exactly how big, but at that time, but as far as, you know, Anthrax was concerned, we were going to go in that same studio, and that would have been perfect, because, you know, hopefully it would have sounded better, right? So we ended up in Pyramid Studios, which, you know, out of that studio in upstate New York, in Ithaca, you know, like Ted Nugent had his uh, early project come out of there, and his early albums, and, and by Dukes, came, you know, recorded there. I know that the guys from the Rods recorded there. Dio recorded there probably back in the 60s. <laughs> you know, like Elf. Um, yeah, the old days, yeah. So there really wasn't anything that was like, well, I never really heard something that was like going to wow me. You know, I didn't, hear what, I didn't hear Michael Wagner production come out of that studio before yeah. we went there. So I was a little bit reluctant, like, oh, shit. You know, we, we could have gone into this studio Metallica was in. Instead, we're in this other studio that's not going to be as good. And sure enough, when that album you know, got recorded, it, it was really unfortunate because, it, you know, like you were talking about Charlie and the way that uh, Carl's experience might have been with him in the studio, I mean, he took a lot of time to record his tracks. I mean, he had a, at least a week to record his tracks, drum tracks, and other people, guitar players, had, you know, another week or two. By the time we got the vocals, there was a day and a half to record, you know, ten songs, or yeah. nine songs, and unfortunately, that was not enough time. You know, I needed three or four days to do the song, and especially 
at that early stage of my career, you know, you know, we weren't perfect back then, so we needed a little more time. You know, three hours a song would been would have been normal, and I didn't even have that. You know, I had like one or two takes, you know, one or two or three takes, and you know, they didn't have time, and there wasn't enough time to mix the album properly. So, unfortunately, that's what you got. But even with that, it's still, you know, it's still an album that that has some uniqueness to it, and. You know, if they're if they're talking about ma- remastering albums or remixing them, well, that's an album that definitely needs a remix. And oh yeah, that would be great. I don't think it's ever going to get one because the way that uh, you know the mentality of of the members of that group and you know it's always been to kind of downplay Neil Turbin. It's always been that way. Like I was talking earlier in the media, you know, they try to always downplay me and you know whatever. I mean, if they want to talk about me, that's great because they can give me free promotion. I'm all about that, and uh, you know, I don't. I personally don't need to talk about them, but you know, if, if since, since you know people want to know about it, that's the only reason well, I bring it up. It's part of your history, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's okay to tell people the truth, and you know, if other people want to tell their version of the truth, that's fine. But you know, I didn't, I didn't fire Dan Loker because if I was going to fire someone, it would have been Scott and Charlie. <laughs> Dan Loker, yeah. Dan, you know, I thought Charlie was my friend. Obviously not, never was, never will be. But as far as uh, Dan Loker is concerned. Uh, Dan was was pretty much an antagonist. He, you know, he would he would do things on purpose, and he would also be kind of, you know, lagging in certain areas. And he was a great guy, and a great bass player. So not not to take away anything from him, but you know, this was something that was affecting the band. You know, and at that point, he, um, you know, other people in the band, you know, this wasn't just about me noticing it. It's about other people in the band. And you see, the the issue, the real issue at heart was that Scott was childhood friends with Danny so it was very hard for him but then when the band decided that this is not helping the band move forward and that it was really a problem I mean we're in the studio in upstate New York doing that first album and he took a day he took it as long as it took for me to do all the vocals it took him that amount of time to do I'm 18 so that's an easy song compared to let's say the the busier stuff like Death Rider Metal Thrashing Mad you know stuff that's a little faster like Panic but you know, at that stage of the game, you know, Dan maybe wasn't, you know, I'm 18 is a different kind of song. It's a lot more steady. It's a lot slower. And to play in that style, you have to be versatile. And I guess at that point, it, it maybe wasn't, you know, Danny's strongest area, not to take away from him. But, you know, that really hurt us. It hurt me vocally to, to not have time to record because, you know, we spent way too much time recording one song on the bass. Yeah. I mean, all of this stuff contributed to the, the end result. And I think, you know, what the end result was is, hey, a cool album. You know, the second album would have been better if, if I had been in the loop, but I wasn't, and that's just the way it goes. You know, I had Armed and Dangerous. I had, uh, you know, Gung Ho that I had written, Raise Hell. Those were my songs. It was really hard and really slow to write with those guys because there was a lot of resistance. You know, they wanted to, their, their whole thing was pushing hardcore punk at the time. They wanted to be a hardcore punk band or they wanted to have this influence. And there was just all this goofing around. So I can understand where the, where the not thing and the and the rap music thing came about. I mean, they're just it was always it was always like a high school locker room, always farting on the bus. You know, they're having fart contests. So none of that stuff surprises me. It was very immature, and you know, really for me, you know, I wanted to step up and be like, you know, Saxon and Priest and Maiden and you know, accept. I mean, I look at their stage sets. I look at you know the places they're playing. That was my focus. You know, I I thought Metallica was really cool. They Metallica at the time to me was kind of like the Ramones of heavy metal and spandex. Yeah. You know they were really great, but that was kind of.
kind of their thing. I didn't see it as something that was my thing, you know. So don't mean to ramble. Let you ask me some questions or. Nah, that's time. all right. Yeah, you got the whole. Oh, <laughs> no. man, Actually, we're gonna have to start wrapping things up over. It's been almost an hour already. That's no, great. Time well, that's flies happened, by. Man. That stuff happens. So, hey, well, thanks for having me on board. And um, you know, I didn't even mention the other guys in the band. I want to get a chance to. Go ahead. Yeah, go I guess I went on the left turn and never looked that's back. All right. That's <laughs> all right. We do the same thing. We have Sandy K. Vasquez from. He was in Bloodlust. We have, um, you know, Dave Watson, who's in the band Hyrax. Mm-hmm. He came from Hyrax, and also he's on guitar, and also Mike Guerrero. We call him the Tapping Ninja. He played with Anne Boleyn and Hellion, and uh, he's done seminars with Michelangelo Badio. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also toured Japan, you know, 11 times, and China and Europe before he joined us. So he's pretty known for what he does on guitar. Just a great guy and great, uh, you know, member. He's been in the band two years. Sandy's been in the band three years. Dave's been in the band two years. You know, Death Riders has been around since late 2003, early 2004. So we've been going for five years plus, you know. And, you know, we've played. And, and then uh, I'm setting myself off track. <laughs> and then Dave Chedrick, who joined us from Hyrax as well on the drums. So he's been in the band for a year now. And actually, it was interesting because Anger's Art, who was the band that he was in earlier this year that he left, actually played that same gig with us at the Black Castle. They went on, you know, earlier in the night, so that was interesting. But, that uh, sounds great. Just wanted to, to mention everyone's name, and um, you know, I guess I guess we're a little bit out of it today on Sunday after <laughs> all these gigs on the weekend, and uh, you know, been doing. Yeah, you had a busy week. weekend, no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, we can handle it. We're ready to go out there and do it, but, you know, that's not the way the metal scene is here in California. I mean, there's just, you know, unless you're you're on a big label or something and they've got you touring, or if you're 18, you know, 20-year-old and you're you're living in mom and dad's and hanging out in a van, yeah, doing a world tour in a van, I mean, that's, that's basically the option. So unless you're, you know, above that, where you have, you know, funding. And that's what it takes to get out there. You know, I don't knock any of the bands that do that. I think it's great that they can do that. You know, not everyone can do that not everyone's 20 years old and they can get in, in the van or live at mom and dad's you know sure. you got to pay, pay for these other bills then you got to uh do what you can do but hey we're still out there doing it and we'll do it until we're dead or motorhead man that's it Neil. it sounds great listen i really appreciate you calling in. where can everybody find you guys on the internet yes we're at deathriders.net we're also at uh 3w's.reverbnation.com forward slash deathriders there's lots of cool downloads uh, you can download on that site and there's also our videos that we did we played in germany twice this year we toured in europe we've been to you know other big festivals like sweden rock monterey metal fest in mexico mm-hmm. um you know last year this past year we actually played rock to- uh, rock tower festival with paul diano and you know corpla connie and Enzofirum and bands like that uh, firewind so we're we're looking forward to 2010 and getting out there to Europe and touring Europe a bit and doing what we can do, and also we're looking forward to uh, playing here in the states and you know we basically play where people will have us you know people want us then that's where we want to play. Well, we want you here in New York, so come back home when you get a chance. Give us a show over here. We'd love to, and uh, you know when the right opportunity is there and we can work it out for everyone, everyone to travel there. That's what it's all about, and then picking up some other shows, but. Uh, I think most people out there understand that concept. Yeah, we do, we do, without a doubt. Neil, thank you very much. Why don't you give me a song to play? Uh, Anthrax, Threcon Delta, the Jack Star Wreck, you give me something, I'll play it. Sure, well, I think 
You can play uh, Crucifixation if you've got that one. Sure do. And another one that you could play for, for Rhett Forrester is uh, Concrete Warrior, if you've got that one. Cause I, think I that got that, a, too. A really cool song, and uh, I like Carl Kennedy's drums on that. And uh, I just want to say, everyone, be fierce, stay thrashing, and, you know, thanks for listening to, Me- to uh, Mike the Big Cheese. Yeah. All right, Neil. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And we'll get, uh, we'll get a song off that Frost album right now. Here's a little Crucifixion featuring Neil Terrybin on both.
singing the vocals on the Jack Frost album, Out in the Cold, with the song Crucifixion. T, you there? Yes. How you doing? Pretty good. He called in a lot earlier than I expected. You know, I didn't get a chance to play any music, you know, in the beginning. I had a whole bunch of songs set up, but, you know, those things happen. That's all right. Hey, it was very good. What are you going to do? Very interesting. Yes, plus I want to, I, I just called up the Guinness Book of World Records, because you've now plugged the Tempest Band, 107 so straight, so I want to get you in that book. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you know, I'm going to re-record this stuff, so I need some promotion. Exactly, <laughs> hey, I, I understand you, I was getting nervous there, I was like, you know, if he doesn't mention Tempest in the next minute, what the hell am I going to do? Well, then I slipped it in at the end. Yeah, I have to segue into that, you know, I have to, I got a note up on my computer screen to remind me to, to bring that up, but... It was good talking. He could fill up a lot of airtime, Neil. No, he's very good. He's got a lot to say, you know. And yeah, I wish we had more time, you know. I wish we had more time. Maybe it's better that he did call in at, at 6 instead of 7 because we were around getting cut off. Exactly. I mean, you gave him more than an hour, you know, so, I mean. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's great when somebody talks, you know. Okay. It's great when somebody has stuff to say and they want to talk instead of, like, you know. Yeah, that's why I wasn't really that in a rush to call in because I said, you know what? I said, when I get my ch- you know, chance to get in, I was listening yeah, yeah. all along. I said, get my chance to get upstairs and call in, you know. Oh, yeah, well, at least he called him, which is good, because the last show we did on a Sunday, Sean Cage of Peckton and call in. Yeah. And I spoke to his manager right after that. He was doing another radio interview that day. Yeah, right. And uh, they they had canceled on him, and the manager thought it was this show, and he gave him the wrong one not to call into. So he called into the one that was canceled. Oh. And then he called into He apologized up and down. He sent me some uh, unreleased uh, Cage tracks. And nobody has. So I'll get them on when he did. He's going to call back in. Uh, I had one opening left this month. I think it was uh, November 29th, or the last uh, November of the month. He's going to call in then. But uh, I don't blame him. It's the manager, Benjamin, seems to mess things up. Mm-hmm. I have Zach Stevens coming on the show from Sabotage and Circle to Circle in December. He calls me up the other day. He goes, Zach's trying to call the show. You're not on air. I'm like, it's Friday night. The show's on Sunday, and he's not on until next month. Mm-hmm. He, he gets all the dates confused. Oh, wow. He manages so many bands, and he, and he really works hard to get them on all the shows that he can. Yeah. Because um, Zach Stevens is also going to be on another show here on Block Talk Radio the week before he's on this show. Oh, okay. So I didn't like that. So when I told him, he goes, well, I only did that because I thought he was on your show this Friday. I had Friday. the date wrong. Uh, I said, all right, no big deal. No big deal. Not like anybody listens anyway. Yeah. And another thing, too, I'm, in a, I'm like you, Tim, in a ranting, raving mood. I don't want to rant too much because i got to get music on, but... Uh, you remember the great cat from the 80s, the female guitar player? Sure, sure. Her manager contacted me about a week ago. Wow. So she wants to come on and do your show. Wow. She's promoting some cool. Beethoven DVD. I said, yeah, great. I said, you know, love it. I said, but I have guests the whole year, so pick any date from the new, you know, January on, and, and it's hers. Just give me the date. So she sends me an email saying, no, the great cat will be. She never just says cat or uses it. It's always the great cat. The great cat. Yeah, the great cat will uh, be on your show uh, uh, January 10th. Um, here's her number, uh, call her for the interview at that time that you want to interview her, and send me a list of all the questions you're going to ask for approval. So I sent back an email, I said, she has to call into my show, because we can't make outgoing phone calls on the internet, you know, the phone lines are used for the show, she has to call in. And I don't have any questions to ask, I said, I just, you know... You, call you know, I just, I just wing it. I, like, I just wing it, I said, I know everything about her music from, I've been listening to this since the 80s, I know everything about it. So, you know, I said, naturally I'm going to promote her new uh, DVD and the new stuff she's up. I'll keep pushing it for you. But I just ask a question and things just, you know, go on from that. I don't, I don't, right. She writes back in about an hour. She goes, I'm sorry, but the great cat cannot do your show. We don't do any shows that don't have pre-planned uh, questions ahead of time. Plus, the great cat does not call radio shows for interviews. Oh, nice. That's just, I, I, well, I didn't, I didn't want to write it back, but I really wanted to write back, you know, because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But I was like, you guys thought, I mean, this is why the great cat hasn't been heard from in 25 years, because she doesn't call radio shows. And that's I mean, you don't call great. a radio show. She'll sell five seats. Five DVDs. She doesn't call there. radio shows. You believe that? Yeah, you know what? Vinny Appleseed didn't have any problems calling in a radio show. He's a little bit bigger than the Great Cat. Now about Neil Ross, the boss, Ross Neil the Boss. Carbon, uh, All these people. Have, uh, you have to call in. That's the way it works. I mean, I. You know, this is the internet. It's not like we're in a. You know, sitting uh, in a. Does you know, know that Mr. Dave Ellison called in this that's show? That's right. Uh, excuse me. Yeah. So the hell with the Great Cat. Don't buy none of her records. Don't buy her new DVD. And that's why she's faded from the woodwork over the last 25 years. Now I can talk bad because I don't, I don't give a shit no more. Yeah, it gives a fuck. She won't. The great cat does not call. In the, I got to send you this email because yeah. it just it, the great cat oh, does not call the radio shows. But you contacted me to come on my show. Yeah. I didn't contact you. That is <laughs> they got some balls. I thought they don't have balls. The two women, but I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> unbelievable. All right, let me calm down. We'll get some more music All on. Right. <laughs> All right. How about we do a little Tokyo Blade? We'll go back to the first record. Okay. Power Games.
awesome. Tokyo Blade with Power Games. I haven't heard that in a long time. I played that like the first month the show was on, but I haven't really played it since then. Yeah, great, great song, great band. Still there? Yeah, they're very right. good, very good. Yeah, I'm still here. I'm just catching my breath, you know? I was wondering if um, um, Neil got uh, credit on the uh, songs that he wrote on the, the next uh, Anthrax album that he wasn't on. Oh, yeah, yeah. On Armed and, uh, I think Spreading the, uh, there was the Armed and Dangerous, uh, EP that came out. Oh, and he got, yeah, he got credit for writing, uh, the songs on there. And then I think Armed and Dangerous also was on Spreading the Disease. They redid it, uh, another time after that. But it was Joey Belladonna that sang it on the EP and the album. On the EP and the album. Yeah, and he did a few of those songs, yeah. He's a, he's a great songwriter. You know, there's a big difference between being a, you know, a musician and a songwriter. Some people yeah. can't write songs that are in bands. Exactly. And, you know, we spoke with Carl, uh, I think back in the spring he was on the show. Right. He tells about the whole thing going on in the studio with the band at the time. And, you know, I brought it up to him. I don't want to talk too much about Anthrax because it's old news, you know, and yeah, I, I want mean, to focus it, more it on the other stuff. It is part of history, unfortunately. You know, yeah, I know. You can't, you can't get away from it. Yeah, you can't get away from it. But he addressed it and he wasn't, you know, it's not like you asked, uh, you know, those... Uh, the same old questions that everybody asks. I try not to, but you know why? When you're in the business as long as some of these people are, how many th- different things can I think they ask them that haven't been asked already? Yeah. You know, it's only so many questions you could ask. I mean, when it comes to people like him, I followed his music for like, you know, the last 25 years. I know a lot about what he's doing and what he's up to. Yeah. I remember the early days of being in that scene in New York, especially us being from New York. Right. So I remember, the, I remember seeing these guys playing at all these small clubs over here before they had a record. I remember, you know, I got that first demo where, uh, uh, we were talking about uh, Scotty and his brother was singing on the demo tape at the time. Wow. Uh, John Connolly, who also was a nuclear assault, this, right. he also was sang for Anthrax in the early days for a little bit, too. Right. And then, then he went on to a nuclear assault, by the way, who's a demolition artist tonight. I'll get that on a little later in the show. <laughs> I forgot about it. I'm running behind with everything, but uh, right. we'll get that on a little later on. So, you know, it was good to hear from him and everything. I, I, as soon as I started the show, he was already on the line waiting to call in. That's amazing. Yeah, so I forgot. Cause, you know, I usually tell everybody to call in the 7 so I could play like different songs by you know by the bands that they're in or different things they've done. Right. To, to get, get people a little psyched, to give people a chance. A lot of people don't always tune in at the beginning of the show either. You know, they, they take a little while to, True. to come in. So, But, you know, everybody could play it later on. And uh, let me see, what else is that? This Wednesday, I did the United States of Metal Series, New Jersey. I kind of tanked that show. It didn't seem to go anywhere this week. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm surprised. I think, you know, New Jersey's got so many great metal bands, you know, oh. that I thought it would get more interest. But it seems like on my BTR this whole week, things have been all wacky and out of, uh, all screwed up. Like, it's not telling me who's got shows coming on and the favorites and, and showing me things from last week. I don't know if it's the whole site is just, you know, what I'm getting. I don't know. Yeah, I, I notice that sometimes uh, it doesn't archive the shows. Uh, like, it skips, like, uh, four or five shows, and then it goes back. Uh, back to like uh, August, September, and I'm like, yeah, where's the shows from September? You know, all October shows. And then oh, I know what you're saying. Yeah, they yeah. they've been doing some upgrades and changing things around. I guess maybe things get a little, you know, a little out of whack, a little miscombobulated for a while. Yeah, and then they uh, get it all straightened out. But hey, it's a free platform, so I can't complain. Uh, there you go. That's all right. So how about we do some brand new Slayer now? Yes. I would tell you, you know, what song do you want to hear, but you're only going to hear the one song I got loaded, so that's what it's going to be. Oh, all right. As long yeah, as I'm actually not... just, the album cracked the top ten, I think, in uh yeah. in, in Australia for the first week of release. That was pretty good. See what happens with it over here. Hopefully it'll do well here, too. But how about we do something about for World Painted Blood? Uh, how about we do American? That's what I got loaded up. Cool, cool. All right. Really good song. Enjoy. Brand new play.
Slayer off the brand new record, American. That's a killer record. I'm telling you, it's really good, man. Yeah. I really enjoy it. Yeah. Rick Rubin did a better job producing that than he did the Metallic one. That's yeah, all I those, can say. The, those preview tracks that we heard were, were probably just thrown together. Yeah. You know, which was good. That's what I thought Metallica would be. But, you know, even with the good production, Metallica record would, would have been kind of... It was kind of boring, you know. Yeah, it wasn't a good record. That's what, what they could really do, you know. Yeah, I know. And it was uh, a little bit more on track, <clears throat> but it yeah. seemed like they didn't really put a lot of heart into it. I don't know. That's just my take. No, I, I agree with you 100%. That's how I felt about Metallica for a long time, but maybe the next one. That's all we can keep saying, right? Maybe the next one. Yeah. All right, well, let me see here. It's time for our Sunday Night Spotlight. i got to get this band on because I know they're probably all listening. <laughs> and uh, it's a band called Amethyst. They're out of Italy, I think, out of uh, Palermo, which is in Sicily. Oh, they got a little history lesson there too. So a little, uh, very nice. A little geography lesson over there. You didn't think you were going to get that, right? My mother was born in Palermo. You see that? So maybe there's some connection here. You never know. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, they're a really good band. A bunch of young guys. You know, they're trying to do that 80 sound in metal, and they're doing a pretty good job at it. They only have a demo out right now, uh, and this is the title track from that demo. It's called Justice Is Done. Yeah, my- 
right, well, I'm a thigh out of Italy with the Sunday Night Spotlight. I'll have the link up to the band when the show is over. Cool, Some old school cool. stuff to you, right? Yeah, so I had that um, sort of punk vocals, almost. Yeah, well, yeah, I think it's the broken English, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Cool. What are you going to do? It's, it's so amazing that these bands take from other countries, try to learn English, to sing everything in there, when the market here in our country is so weak, and it's not like the 80s, you know? Yeah, that's... Better just singing in the wrong language and doing it the wrong way. They probably have more of a fan base in, in, over in Europe than over here right now. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I always thought about that with the German bands, too, you know? Yeah. Like, they're not... I mean, uh, maybe it's England. You know, maybe because, uh, I guess, English is a more, what's the word, uh, universal language. Like yeah, it's spoken, I guess. Everybody yeah, speaks I know. it, you know, maybe. Who knows? Oh, Who knows? Good for us. At least we know what the hell they're talking That's about. That's right. You know, even through the broken English, we can figure it out. Yeah. All right, let me see what I got. we got about 30 minutes left in the show. Uh, how about I play the Anthrax song I was going to open the show with, but uh, we got Neil on right away. So we'll go back to his uh, Fistful of Metal Days with Anthrax. Okay. One of my favorite songs off the record, Howlin' Fury.
Samantha Rocks with Helen Furious featuring tonight's guest Neil Turbin on vocals. Not to take anything away from Joey Belladonna or uh, John Bush, but that's the best Anthrax to me. It's the stuff that uh, started it, you know, the grassroots yep. stuff that, you know, started it, you know, with Overkill and, and oh, uh, yeah. all those bands, you know, here in New York, you know, yeah. uh, like on the other side, you know, the other side of the West Coast, we know who, you know, Ant- uh, was uh, Metallica and Slayer and, you know, yep. that lot, you know, but... Uh, but it changed, you know, and it was like when I saw like not to take away from them, but when I saw like the girls into Anthrax, I was just like, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, I love to see girls at metal shows, but uh, when you had the girls who liked like Poison, well, Poison wasn't around then, but when the girls liked, you know, the I know what you're saying, the hair metal bands, yeah, yeah, the hair metal bands, and they also liked Anthrax, it was like, you know. I never cared for Anthrax. I mean, I, I you know, I, I try to listen to the stuff early. I have all the records. You know, I, I still buy the records, but... We always went to the shows because yeah. that was the thing to do, you know. It was like, I just never cared for... Uh, I just thought Joey Belladonna was such a bad fit. He's a great singer. Yeah. I love his solo records, but I just never thought it was a good fit. John Bush and Anthrax, I think John Bush is great. Love him with Armour Saint. Never cared for the Anthrax stuff for him. Dan Nelson will never get a chance to hear anything by stuff by him. That will never get released. Wow. And, uh, you know, if you just look at the band, they just stay, the, the career's been like a roller coaster. They just follow every trend and every fad that comes around. Yeah. The the rap, the the grunge, the new metal, they just go with whatever's popular, keep playing, you know, they never stood to their guns, and it's a shame, because they could have been great. I mean, they were big in the 80s, had a lot of success, but yeah. they, they weren't able to maintain it like some of the other bands were, and that's due to the music, you know? Well, I like what Neil says, you know, a band's like Saxon, you know, like they kept to their guns, you know? Mm-hmm. They say to their guns, whatever the word uh, term is, uh, and um, they did what the fans wanted, you know. And uh, you know, of course, they had some commercial, commercial style songs, Saxon. But they always had like a good handful of rockers on their albums. You yeah, know? yeah uh, they were pretty consistent. And the last five records, five, four or five records, have been real true metal, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know what you get with a Saxon record. That's yeah, what it is. You know what you're gonna get. And it doesn't disappoint. God bless him. There you, you know, go. And, that's I'm right. glad, and I'm all power to him, so you know, to keep going, you know, because it's, it'll be good to hear. Hell yeah. And they're going to be right. back here in the new year, Saxon. They're coming yeah. back. Uh, I'm sure they'll be in New York because, you know, you have more of a fan base here. Some of those smaller places. places. Yeah, they got to come through here. Yeah, so we'll definitely catch them again. They were great when we saw them a few months ago, and we will see them again next year. And let me see what else we got here. How about we do our demolition segment so I get that out of the way? Okay. Uh, another guy related to Anthrax, Dan Loka, the bass player. We're going to do the Nuclear Assault demo tonight. Uh, this is for the second demo, the Live, Suffer, and Die demo tape. Uh, Neil was talking about, you know, how he helped get uh, he helped get uh, Dan kicked out of the band. But, you know, what it came down to, and it's been said many times before, is that he really wasn't that great of a bass player early on. It took him forever to record the songs. He was a kid. He was, he was Yeah, he was young, kid. you know. But wasn't as talented, you know, and um, even when he was in Nuclear Assault, it, it was just basic stuff, you know. Yeah, it was raw stuff. They wanted a Steve Harris, you know, yep. so they tried to get him to be a Steve Harris type bass player. Oh, that didn't work. It didn't work. All right, well, here's the Nuclear Assault, Live, Suffer, and Die demo. If you go to the Heaven Metal Mayhem blog spot now, you can download a copy of this demo. Uh, you know, since it's the demolition segment, how about we get the song Demolition on? All this right. is Nuclear Assault. It's a little raw, but enjoy.
right, there you go. That was Nuclear Assault, the song Demolition. You can download a copy of that demo at the Heavy Metal Mayhem blogspot. That didn't sound too bad. No, not bad at all. Yeah, you know what it is? Some of them don't sound as well as others, and I only give like a quick listen before I upload it for the show. Yeah. I don't have time to sit through every song anymore, you know? No, of course not. But it sounded better than I thought. The original copy I had wasn't good, but I found a better copy at another place I uh, go to. So I, right. I put that one up, so that's good. Not bad at all. So let me see what else is going on. And this Wednesday, the metal matinee is for those who served. We're going to play all military metal for our veterans. It's Veterans Day this Wednesday already. Yes, exactly right. Boy, the year is coming and going. Before you know it, it'll I be know. Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's amazing. And we'll have a heavy metal mayhem Christmas extravaganza the week before uh, Christmas. Playing all Christmas heavy metal once again. We just did the Halloween show two weeks ago. That, that, that went over really good. Yeah, that was good. Got a lot of listens that show. That was good. I guess there's any play anybody from New Jersey. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. New Jersey tanked this week. It tanked big time. Wow. It's time to bring the tour bus out to California. you got to go back out west. The, the west shows are, are big ones. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it's just a... Uh, well, who the hell knows? Maybe we're going to try to figure it out. Hey, all you can do is do what you do. You do that's right. That's it. right. I'm not used to getting shows with like, you know, only like a couple of thousand listens. I'm used to getting a lot more than that, especially on the Wednesday one. Wow. But I guess I shouldn't complain because it's probably more than a lot of other people get. This is true, too. All right, so who's going to complain about it? Just me and you. That's it. All right, how about we do a little Iron Maiden? That, uh, sounds good. We haven't played Iron Maiden in a long time. What do you want to hear? Uh, You know me. I like the Diana stuff. Okay, we're going to well, we're gonna have to hear Quest of Flags on the song I got loaded. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think I got to ask anyway, make it sound good. <laughs> All right, here you go. Well, I made in Quest for Fire.
Iron Maiden. I know you wanted to hear the piano version, but we got the Bruce Dickinson one on. All right, not a problem. Nah, I know. You know, try to upload songs before the show, so what are you going to do? <laughs> not bad. So why All do right, we got about 14 minutes left. What happened? Why do you ask me what I want to hear? I don't know. It sounds good, you know? Yeah, it sounds good. But then you I think maybe think, there's that one oh. in a million shot. You'll name the exact song that I have loaded. <laughs> you know what's <laughs> funny is, funny is uh, when you ask Neil, you know, you know, what do you want You know, want me to play? And when he said um, the song, was it Crucifixion? Okay. Yeah. You actually said, okay, I have it. I couldn't believe it. That that only worked out because that was the only song he sang on the record, so it was easy to get that one oh, song. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, he actually has it ready. And then he, he said, sang, uh, that yeah. was the Jack Starr record. I'd call it Jack, you know, he's always, oh, like, I see, I see. and the solo stuff, he always has different artists singing different songs, you know, performing. Oh, I see, I see. But I know he did that one song, so I put that on. And uh, I don't know when it was. I think it was maybe 10 years ago. Uh, there was a Japanese guitar player named Kuni, K-U-N-I. Right, right. Uh, he, did, he, he wrote all the music on the record, which I didn't know for him. But he only sang on like one song. Kevin Dubrow was on another and a few other people. I couldn't figure out which one he was on. So I said, let me just go with the Jack Starr one. And then the Threadcon Delta record, I had everything from that record on, on here. So I knew if he asked for anything. Okay. I would have it. And the Anthrax, I have most of that stuff uploaded from like over the last year. So. Yeah. We were pretty good there with that, but, you know, I figured maybe out of, like, the 342 songs I made and had, you would have just picked out the right one that I had uploaded. Yeah, sure. Ah, what are you going to do? Oh, I'll tell you what, who was he talking about before? He was, t- he was telling me that he was in France for a little while uh, with Jack Starr. He was going to be in the original uh, Jack Starr, Burning Starr, but they went with Red Florister for that. Instead, they had right. him there just to back up. Right. And he was talking about, was it H-Bomb or Sortilage? I think he said Sortilage. Sortilage, yeah, yeah. Sortilage, yeah. Okay, so how about we do a little Sortilage? Yeah, it sounds good. I had the song on for a while. I never got around to playing it. Cool. So, so now I, I can't it. pronounce the name of it. It's in French. The whole record's in French. Uh-huh. I think it's Progenture, if I'm saying it right. She's get my daughter in here. She takes French in high school. Oh, cool. Yeah, but well, now she's taking Spanish, because I think French was a little too hard. Plus, uh, just being in the class, she doesn't like it, so. Oh. Yeah, so this is Prosian Torre by Sotolay. They think it means screw America. I'm not sure. <laughs>
Okay, some sort of lids with progeniture, I think that's how you say it. That's easy for you to say. Yeah, I just looked up uh, what it means anyway, because I... Hang on, progeniture, yeah, okay, that was it. I wanted to make sure I got the right word. Yeah, I just looked it up. It means if it wasn't for you, we'd be speaking German today. So, oh, okay, there you great. Go. <laughs> All, right. All right. I'm going to have to go a little Eddie Trunk on everybody right now, do a little uh, sameless uh, self-promoting over here. Uh, when I was a kid, a teenager, we many years ago, I was in a hardcore band called Stillborn here in New York, and a label out in California, Punk Records, uh, took all our demo tapes, remastered them, and they're going to release the record 25 years after we wrote the songs, and that album finally comes out tomorrow. Wow. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's been on pre-order all week. Uh, he just picked everything up. Uh, so I want to thank Jason for all that. He did a good job remastering the songs, at least as best you can on stuff that was put on cassette on a four-track player. Wow. Matter of fact, you recorded the first demo for us on your machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the album is out. Uh, there's 500 limited edition copies on red vinyl. So uh, if you want to get the red vinyl, you can just go to punkrecords.com. You can order it over there. It's 10 bucks. Uh, there's also a CD available, and the CD also comes with our last demo tape, Scorn of Absence. There's a bonus demo on there, and also the live show we did on air at uh, WFMU with uh, Pat Duncan back in, God, I think it was 85 or 86, I don't even remember. Wow. So it was a whole 45-minute uh, radio uh, live concert from the radio we did with our interview. So if you want to get it, go water. I'll have everything up on my site tomorrow, too, and on this site here so people can uh, rush out and spend the hard-earned $10 on something that probably nobody buy anyway, but i got to promote it. Hey, no, yeah, man. so you know what? And to go with the promotion, I'm going to get one of the songs off the album on. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I uploaded one from the demo or the ones that he recut, because I'm not sure. I, I, didn't, I didn't separate which ones were which. Oh, so uh, here's a song from my old band from the Stillborn Record, The Last Hurrah. Enjoy. <laughs>
got a little stuff on with the last hurrah. Go over to punkrecords.com and buy that record. I need your money. Sounds good, man. All right, T. We're all out of time here. Wow. That all right. Great. Three minutes left. I'm going to close things out with a Neil Turbin song, and uh, we'll say adios till Wednesday. How does that sound? Sounds good, buddy. All right, buddy. Thank you for hanging out with me again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank Neil Turbin for being a great guest tonight, and I'll be back Wednesday with for those who serve on the Wednesday Metal Matinee, and next Sunday night, Vinny Apice is our guest. May not be live, but we got the interview. Excellent. All right, so have a great week, everybody. T, I'll talk to you later, buddy. All right, good night now. Here's a little Neil Turbin. Peace of me. Thanks for listening. Have a great work week. I'll see you Wednesday, 12 o'clock for the Metal Matinee. It's a tribute to our veterans for Veterans Day, for those who served. Goodbye, everybody.